This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Hey, business storytellers. It's Christoph Trapp, your host and author of Content Performance Culture. Thanks for joining me for another episode. And if you haven't seen the news, the show is now also available on Pandora. Um, Only 10,000 podcasts are currently on Pandora, a little bit um, under 10,000. So I think that's super cool that we're now on there. So take a look. Um, if you're not in the U.S., I had a friend outside the U.S. say to me, uh, why is that a big deal, Christoph? Uh, what's Pandora? <laughs> and, you know, um, so just something you might. That's uh, U.S. based, I guess, unless you have a VPN. Uh, but anyway, let's get to the topic at hand today. And today I want to talk about um, the fear based culture that has started to uh, to happen and, and occur here in the United States, especially um, and today's guest is Darren Murner. He's the CEO and co-founder of Cloverleaf, and he wrote the book Corporate Bravery that addresses that topic. Darren, how's Good. it going? Uh, great to be on here. Thanks, Christoph. And I don't remember where exactly I ran across your name or your book, but it was somewhere on social media, and you were talking about all this fear happening and, and, and you know, just really quickly, the book the preview text on Amazon. And you can check that out if you go to ctrap.online forward slash corporate bravery. That redirects you over there if you want to take a look. American culture has become a culture of fear. Parenting methods, advertising messages, scream for safety, terrorism threats, and the government's response both tell us to take cover. And of course, social media's unending streams perpetually magnify it all. Oh, I wish I didn't agree, <laughs> Darren. Well, how did we get Yeah, here? great question. I mean, you know, I, when I started writing this book, I think it was in 2014, right? And unfortunately, like every year that goes by, it just becomes an even more relevant conversation um, and e- an even more relevant uh, kind of set of anecdotes and ideas and thoughts about how we can transition um, our decision making, how we approach life away from kind of that like fear mindset and that fear model towards, um, you know, a brave way of living. Um, and I, I happen to focus more on the workplace in this book, but, um, you know, I, there's a lot of personal stories in there. Um, and, and, you know, the reality is like we're kind of inundated uh, with fear. And I think especially right now, you know, gosh, like we just look at like all the problems across the world, uh, especially here in the United States with a global pandemic and, um, you know, uh, civil unrest, um, you know, kind of people coming to grips with their own, um, you know, role potentially in, um, you know, in in a larger racial conversation. And um, man, there's just so many people peddling fear. And so how do we, how do we kind of rise above that? And uh, yeah, unfortunately every year it becomes even more relevant, sadly. 
And so when you're saying peddling fear, I mean, of course, there's different, uh, let's call them silos, verticals where that happens, right? I mean, when I turn on the news and I grew up in journalism, I, I would love to believe that a lot of mainstream, they're not doing it on purpose, even though sometimes I wonder, depending on who I'm watching. Um, but that's like one area, right? And then, of course, we have the marketing side and the content side. Um, and I mean, when content teams create artificial fear of something or even maybe real fear, uh, does that work or does it work long term or what's been uh, what's been what have you yeah, seen? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it does work. Right. I mean, I, I think about like the, um, you know, home security people. Right. Like, I mean, it, it, it makes sense to some degree to to like tap into this um, this basic human um, emotion of, of fear to sell solutions, you know, for these kind of like worst case scenarios or like very real threats that people experience in the, in the neighborhoods or in the situations that they might be in. Um, so I'm not suggesting that like, Hey, we should completely abandon that. I think we just need to be cognizant of the overwhelming layering of fear, right? Like you mentioned, news and journalism and, and and to some degree yeah i mean like you you turn on the local news like in, in our house i have a I have a 12 year old and a 10 year old twins and we just don't watch the local news in our market um and i think partially because uh because of that kind of like fear mindset you know if you turn it on in your particular city or in your particular community you would get the impression that the only thing that's happening in that in that area is death and and destruction right and um so like we go and visit my in-laws over over the christmas holiday every year and they live in florida they're retirees and you know it's like religion to them like the only way they stay connected is like the local news source and when we're at their house over christmas break the tv might be on and that local news segment is on and, you know, their impression of the community that my in-laws live in in Florida is that, you know, it is a really unsafe place to live <laughs> because that's their only perspective of news and information about that community versus the community that we live in, in the middle of Ohio, which I would say arguably probably has more crime and more you know potential for bad things to happen. Um, but it's, it's because they've been fed, fed this steady stream of fear-based information about that local community in Florida through the only news source that they have about that. So it, it, it's really, it, it's a very um, stark contrast uh, watching that. So, yeah. So what's interesting about that, and, and I'll share one quick story, and then maybe we can jump into um, corporate fear, right? When people go to work, and I, I know exactly what that refers to. Um, but, you know, what you just mentioned, I thought of last year, I actually, I, I traveled to Hong Kong, um, let's say for a weekend in Hong Kong, it's a long trip sure. for a weekend, but that's basically what it was. And it was the protests were yep. happening, yep. right? And like, all I heard in the US is protest, protest. I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? What am I doing? And I called American and said, there's no travel advisories, whatever. And typically what I found is that when you travel anywhere, even when they're in the news, unless it's something super big scale, huge scale, like everywhere, you don't even see yeah. it. And so I actually, you know, so I actually, I was on the, on the plane, I had Wi-Fi for a little bit and 
um, they said now they have um, riots or whatever at the airport. I was like, well, crap, I'm, that's literally where I'm going, even though it's going to be 15 hours. And I got on my phone and I, I, I messaged the hotel and I said, could you please send a car just add it to my hotel for safety reasons, right? Because I figured that I don't have to look at right. a cab or Uber or whatever. And, you know, whatever. I get there. Do you know how many riots I saw? Zero, yeah. None. Like, they, none. It was like, in fact, I would almost say it, there was less foot traffic than I would have expected from a, a major airport. So it is interesting because, you know, when I saw the news and even I had people message me and say, you better take a look, you're heading there. Like it's, you know, it, it put fear in my, my mind. But when I got there, uh, my, my favorite, yeah, my so favorite story on this is every year we go, I, I take my family and we go to an orphanage in Mexico and we serve for a week, like building houses, doing repairs, uh, playing with the kids um, at the orphanage. And um, every year we cap that week off with a dinner with all of the people that kind of run the orphanage, right? Really kind of a chance to serve them and, you know, give them a break from their kind of like day-to-day -day responsibilities. And, you know, I remember very vividly, I think probably three years ago at that dinner, talking with uh, people there in Mexico. And, you know, the funny thing is leading up to this every year, we always invite friends and family to kind of come along on this trip. And people in our community are like, oh my gosh, it's so dangerous. You know, there's um, cartels and they're like dragging people out of cars and like shooting them assassination style on the side of the road, which, by the way, I've, I've never experienced in Mexico. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It is there. There is danger there. Right. But I've never experienced that. And I try to provide that perspective. But I get down there and I'm talking with these people. And it, the very first thing out of their mouth is like, wait, you send your children to public school. That is terribly dangerous. There are shooters at every public school and it is like the most dangerous place in the world that you could be, right? And, and like, it just shows that these perspectives are only shaped by the experiences that we have. And if we only listen to the messages, that's how pervasive fear is and the messages that we receive across all areas of our life, not just in the media, right? It's easy. Media is easy target, but like, you know, advertisers, marketers, we're responsible for a lot of that, right? Preying on that like really primal emotion that people have. And then if that's, if those are the messages that we're getting outside of work, it's only rational to expect that we're going to bring those experiences and the, 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 the emotions that we're feeling across all of those messages and bring that into how we make decisions for our own organization and for our own approach to market our products and services. Yeah, um, very, it's very interesting. I mean, especially the school example, which um, I, I can see why that would come up. Um, how, how about in corporate America, though? I mean, I, when we talk about fear, what's the definition when it comes to me going to my marketing job or a content person going to their job? Fear show up there. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think it's a, it's a very real cultural aspect. Uh, that every organization has to face. Um, and it starts at the top. Um, how are you setting the tone? Uh, one of the things we talk about is, is trust, right? At, at the end of the day, um, you know, one of the ways that we can overcome fear is by creating a culture of trust. And unfortunately, uh, with a lot of organizations, right, there are some great leaders in the world, but 
um, as leaders in an organization, we're creating in small decisions or big decisions that we're making every day that create a culture of fear. And so what, one of the simple examples I give is the pay gap, right? Like if you look at what CEO pay is relative to the you know, median wage of an employee in most organizations, that gap can be as high as 150, 200 times what that median wage is. And how do you expect there to be trust and how do you expect the culture to be one that is brave and fearless um, as opposed to one that is kind of driven by uh, some of those concepts? Uh, other things I talk about is politics, internal politics, right? So this uh, divisions and departments that exist inside the organization, obviously everyone wants flatter, you know, leaner organizations, a more agile approach. Uh, but the reality is, like these, this desire for control and the desire to, to kind of influence and kind of, you know, step on each other to get up the corporate ladder, so to speak, um, creates an environment where people can't give their best. Um, and they're, they're frankly fearful to make decisions that could, could look like failure. Um, and so what ends up happening is, is you stifle innovation. You don't get people's best creative ideas. Uh, you know, there's a whole host of issues that come from that. So those are just two simple examples. But in, in a word, I would say culture is what really dictates that kind of fear-based versus brave um, uh, environment for people to thrive in. And if you guys didn't hear the, the show with Andrea Freyrier um, on Agile Marketing, um, take a listen to that. Of course, her book is also available, ctrap.online forward slash Andrea. Uh, but kind of what you just mentioned too, uh, Darren, is she, she talked about you have to have the right conversations. You have to be collaborative. Uh, and if you're just fearful that, you know, you can't, you don't want to step on somebody's toes, right? Or, uh, you know, they'll, they'll be rude to you or whatever. Um, if you say something they don't like, uh, I, I still see that happening quite often out there in, in corporate America, unfortunately, to have that kind of environment. But is, is the reason this exists because that's how it's been and it's worked in different um, setups or different environments in business? Or, or, or why do we have a culture of fear? Why is yeah, that well, I mean, I think people do emulate, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's only natural that like, hey, my first experience as a manager or like if I think about my role as a father for my children, right? Like that's shaped by the experiences that I had with my own father or, you know, as a manager, I'm, I'm constantly kind of picking and choosing what were the experiences I had with leaders in, in my career that were positive experiences and negative experiences and really kind of trying to take the best of that stuff and move forward with it. And like, as a, as a leader of a, of a growing and thriving kind of tech company, um, I think one of the one of the best places that we can look to create brave cultures is in those situations where you see someone fail, right? And and, and it can be failing in really small ways, right? So like we're recently uh, recently at hired a new employee. There's tons of opportunities for new employees to fail, right? And so I find myself every time when there is a situation where someone you know, maybe they didn't have the full picture, they didn't understand the full context, or 
you know, maybe they just weren't thinking through the process, but basically there was, there was a failure of, of something uh, on the part of that employee that when I go to correct or offer, you know, a different perspective, I make sure I reinforce the fact that like, Hey, I love that you tried this. Right. Uh, because, Oftentimes, when we go to correct that, what we're communicating to, to our, our team, our employees, our, our, the people that we work with every day, is that we have the potential to communicate that failure isn't an option. And over time, what ends up happening is people are literally afraid to try new things. You know, they uh, are afraid to do something on their own um, and need, feel the need to go back to their manager to approve every single thing that they're doing, right? And um, I, so I look for those small things throughout the day. And when I'm making corrective uh, statements or having a corrective conversation, I make sure to reinforce the fact that like, one, what my role was in that, right? I either didn't communicate something or didn't provide the full context or I didn't provide the right kind of training. Um, and then I say, hey, it's okay. Like, I love that you tried this thing. I love that you did it on your own. I love that you took initiative, right? Because what I'm doing is reinforcing the, the, the fact that I want them to be creative. I want them to have initiative. I want them to, to do these positive behaviors, right? Even if it results in failure. And I want them to try that in small ways so that I'm not reinforcing this, this um, implicit message that failure is not an option. You know, and what's interesting about the, the term failure, I, I'm still convinced that in marketing strategy in 2020 and probably beyond, uh, what is, what's failure? Right. What does that even Absolutely. mean, right? I mean, it, things change. Things change all the time. Uh, I'll give you an example. You know, I ran a campaign. It worked really well one week. And the next week, it didn't work at all. And I'm like, what, did, what changed, Absolutely. right? And it was a holiday weekend. It was a holiday weekend. That's, so now we know it's like, don't even waste your time, uh, you know, running a campaign on these days because people are already tuned out. Uh, but how do you know? You only know by testing. So, uh, but that's when I grew up in really in journalism and then uh, I, I guess marketing at the beginning, similarly, even though it was changing, um, there was no gray areas, right? There was, I mean, it was like, this is how it is. Um, follow the script. Yeah, and, and I think lean and agile organizations, ones that are going to be successful, right, can't create that prescription, right? Like we are, we're creating new things, we're innovating, we're collaborating and taking people's ideas and pulling that together. And just the basic concept of those things require regular and constant failure. Um, and and we've got to be okay with that. We've got to create a culture that that embraces it and even promotes it. Um, and, but if, but if you don't, right, what ends up happening is people, people allow fear to creep in and you have a culture that's dominated by fear, um, as opposed to being brave and, and willing to try things. And what I found as well, Darren, in my career is when there's no fear, you really can create better stuff. I mean, I'm just thinking about some of the best innovative projects happened when people were just allowed to, I know some people won't like me using the term, but they were just playing, right? And all of a sudden they came up with, hey, we just have the first app in the United Way network in the whole world, right? Um, for example, that just, that's one example that comes to mind. Um, but now you have a process, correct? That people can go through 
to to get out of the fear culture or or am i uh misstating yeah i mean that? A, a process might be overselling it um i think the you know one of the worst things you can do when you write a book or you talk about ideas or concepts is to just kind of highlight all these places where um you know, we, we have the opportunity to injury sphere and not give kind of a roadmap or some suggestions. Um, and so I do think process probably oversells it, but in the book, we do talk about, you know, a few key ways that we can uh, transition from a fear-based culture to one that is, um, uh, you know, brave, I, I think in all aspects of their work and how do we create a culture? And, and again, the focus on that on those, those three areas is really around culture building. Um, because as a leader, that's the thing that we can impact, right? Uh, if, if we really want to have, make a difference, it is, it, it's creating an environment where people can feel brave and be themselves. And the funny thing is like, I wrote the book and then, um, you know, a couple of years passed and I, I had a concept or an idea for what became Cloverleaf, uh, which is, which is the, Current company that I that I run uh, and I'm and a co-founder in, and I went back, you know, probably six months into building that company and said, hey, like there's probably some really great content in corporate bravery that we could use as you know some some content marketing that could drive some inbound um, you know opportunities for us. And I went back and it was funny because really I had created a roadmap or a template for what Cloverleaf became and what we wanted to build with Cloverleaf. And Cloverleaf wasn't even a concept then. So to some degree, that process has morphed into a SaaS platform that helps people create, you know, brave cultures um, and brave teams. Yeah, and when I look at, uh, so Cloverleaf.me, you guys believe in candor, optimism, curiosity, interdependence, that's another thing. I mean, uh, you know, it is we, not me. And I know some people throw that around as a slogan, um, but I've never seen a well-rounded person, I don't think, but I've seen well-rounded right, people, right? Um, and, you know, flexibility, all those things are great. Great to see any dependability, intentional, intentionality, celebration, persistence. What's uh, really Quickly, what is Cloverleaf? I know you mentioned a SaaS platform, but what? Yeah, it's for building high-performing teams. So, you know, the collaboration process requires us, you know, to to your point, right, a well-rounded person, but you've seen a a well-rounded team. It's really helping people build that that well-rounded team. Um, How do you find complementary aspects? How do you... How do you think strategically about who you're adding to a team or how to position people in the right roles inside of a team to allow them to, to be their best, you know, contribute their best ideas and contribute their best work on a daily basis and still leave energized at the end of the day, right? Um, so it is a, it, in, in essence, it is a tech platform to help you build high-performing teams. And we really are focused on collaborative teams. So like marketing and, and uh, what, what I would consider kind of the more traditional agency teams uh, is, a, is, a, is a segment that we, we focus on. But we also look at sales and account management teams and we look at tech teams. Um, and those are the kind of the three target areas that we focus on, uh, largely because those three segments require a high level of collaboration in order to be successful. Uh, 100% agree. And of course, I don't have a link for my own book <laughs> there, just a guess. 
but content performance culture talks about how marketing has really moved into high performance uh, um, expectations and teams. So if you guys want to check that out, authenticstorytelling.net. Uh, I don't think we said this exactly um, out loud the way I'm going to say it now, but but sometimes I hear a lot of talk and, and I think our conversation tint, uh, tilted that way a little bit. It's, a, it's about creating the culture, right? It's about the leadership. It's about all those things. And of course, that's what when Michael Brenner was on the show um, a few months ago, and if you want to listen to that, he talked about Mean People Suck, his book he was talking about really leadership, right? Like uh, mean bosses, the bad cultures, et cetera, et cetera. But what can people, not the bosses, not the leaders, what can they do? I mean, is there some, I mean, can I, I can sit here and say, well, I'm really fearful because of all this crap going on, but how do I get out of that if I don't have that support quite uh, right now? Other yeah, than no. leaving. Yeah, it's a great That's question. I mean, I, and, and I've given advice to individuals on, on my team over the last few months, um, many of which are who are younger and haven't been through uh, massive economic upheaval, um, uh, you know, because they're, they're new in their in their job. And we've had like sustained economic growth for a, a, a longer period of time. And one of the things that I said is like, hey, you can't control um you know, government policy as it relates to COVID, right? Like shutting down entire economies or whether or not people wear their face mask, uh, which is a huge issue here in the U.S. Um, you can't control those things. What you can control is what's, what's in front of you. So really what I would say, it's really about mindset. When you find yourself feeling fearful, think about the messages that prompted that, right? So if you're listening to that talk radio, turn it off. Right. Like if if that's what's feeding that fear mindset, um, because what what you inevitably do is spend too much mental energy on those things that you can't control. And it actually draws you away from the things that you can control. And so I, I really focus with my team um, on really kind of controlling your mindset and focusing on what are the things that you can control and it really starts with your mindset. And so tuning out messages that can create fear or that can distract you from really focusing on the stuff that is in front of you. And, you know, and how does that apply like on a team? So if you have, let's say you have an, I don't know if old school leader is the right way to put that, but let's say there is a fearful uh, culture, right? On the team. Is there something team members can do to to help the team move out of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think what, the way I refer to it is command and control, right? Like you, you use the term old school. Um, I think the, the more traditional kind of management style uh, was command and control. And I think, you know, even as an individual contributor, if you're in a team or you're in an organization that has more of that command and control mindset, uh, everyone has an opportunity to still impact the culture, right? It's not just the leader. And I think that's one of the, the unique things about our model inside of Cloverleaf is that it really kind of like levels that playing field. It puts everyone on the same level. Um, and, you know, it's not implying or suggesting that only the leader can control that, but it's the collection of individual preferences and approaches and styles that contribute to that, to that team culture. 
so as an individual contributor, um, you know, you still have the power to, you know, suggest things or to demonstrate a certain way of doing things that isn't in that like traditional kind of old school mindset, but, but sets an example and suggest, especially if, if you're successful with that, right? That there is a different way to approach that, that, that situation. You know, the, the other thing that comes to my mind, Darren, is don't let things, um, you know, linger even for yourself. I mean, the one example that comes to mind and, uh, you know, every time the boss sends an email or a Slack message and says, can you come in when you have a moment, right? People always go, oh my God, am I in trouble? It's like my 12 year old. Every time I open my mouth and say her name, she's in trouble. No, you're not in trouble. I'm just asking you to get me a beer <laughs> yeah. or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, that's like, that's uh, very common. Um, and then if you can't follow up right then, you might let it linger. How do, how do people, like, how, how do people, not let that happen and not always think the worst. I mean, well, I actually have a book in the ch in a chapter in the book about that, but I don't think I explain how you get out of it other than, you know, yeah, um, yeah, no, shave it and yeah, shave yeah. it, <laughs> which probably wasn't helpful. It's, it, it's a really great question. And part of the Cloverleaf model is it starts with self-awareness, right? So understanding when we feel those pains, what, what, what is dictating my emotions in that situation, right? Is it either my relationship with that manager? And is there a track record of, hey, when the boss calls me in, like it's, it's always bad. And, and then the second side of that, so self-awareness, both for the, for the manager or for the, for the leader of that team and the individuals on the team. And then it's how do we work together in a way that creates open dialogue and conversation around those things. So like, if, if I feel that when I get that, that ping, right. And I feel that emotional uh, kind of that fear response, right. Cause that's, that's what you were describing. Um, what's driving that. And then once I have that understanding, especially if it's, if it's the manager's behaviors or the, the, the history that I've had with that leader um, uh, consistently over time, then having the space to have that conversation and say, hey, this is what I experience when you do that, right? Can you, you know, can you add an extra sentence to that email and say it's because of X, Y, and Z? So now I don't have this fear response because I know exactly what he or she is asking me about. And it's not, it's not something negative, but it's just he needs a data point or she needs a data point to, you know, uh, aggregate to a report and send along to senior leaders in the organization. And so really what we're doing is creating a place where people have a stronger sense of self and they have a stronger sense of the people that they are working with. And then that creates the environment for collaboration to happen and for people to actually enjoy the people that they're working with on a, on a daily basis. I, I mean, it is about the communication. I mean, I'm, and even the channel. Uh, so what I started doing is for the team members where I know they always have that anxiety, even though they're never in trouble and they're fantastic people. Sure. Uh, I always just put in, you're, you're not in trouble. <laughs> Smiling right. face, you know, because I know, because I know they have anxiety. Um, but there's also times when, you know, you talk about self-awareness, but self-awareness, of course, is uh, interesting because this is your own, uh, you know, how you feel about it, but they don't, um, you know, perceive you. Uh, I mean, That's people right. should, 
go and and tell people right tell people how they feel about it yeah that's right and i mean part of part of what's cool about the cloverleaf platform is is we actually provide that level of awareness too right like here's what we know about this person here's what we know about you and here's how they're likely to perceive the things that you're doing right and we integrate that with people's calendars so we 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 integrate with microsoft 365 google for business so if you've got a meeting we're sending you these coaching notes before your meeting to say, hey, don't forget, Christoph, you know, really likes facts and figures. And, you know, if you come with with feelings and emotions, that may not be you may not be as receptive to that idea or that concept. Right. Um, so it's it's very positive. It's very action oriented, but it really brings language to that. Uh, at the point in time where you're interacting with each other, it could be through Slack or Microsoft Teams. It could, you know, and and then and then we're reinforcing that with um, with regular messages that kind of really bring that awareness, not just from a from a self perspective, but also how that's likely to be perceived by the other person. Yeah, very very interesting topic for sure, um, guys. Check out um, Darren Murner's book. Corporate bravery, eliminate fear-based decision-making. Certainly easier said than done, um, but you get some insights here from Darren. The book, ctrap.online forward slash corporate bravery that sends you over to Amazon Kindle Unlimited. Always love that when it's available that way. And you can, of course, order the paperback. Darren, thanks for joining us. Thanks for sharing all the insights. Yeah, really thanks so much. It. Appreciate the time today. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win. Stories win.